I'm going to ask this morning if you take your Bibles and turn back to Galatians chapter 5. We have been now for several weeks dealing with a couple of verses found in verses 22 and 23 of Galatians chapter 5. We're nearing the end of the year where the theme has been for the entire year, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord, out of the book of Zechariah. And we've had a year of talking about how the spirit moves within individuals, how the spirit moves within the church, how it, what it means to be a spirit of God driven and led person. And as we're wrapping this year up, we're talking about what it means to live out the personality of Jesus Christ, which is what the fruit of the Spirit is. It's, it's we allow Jesus to live within our life and His personality is worked through us. And in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, begins to speak of these personality traits of Jesus when it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Lord, as we approach your word this morning, I believe that it is important for you to take this time to plant your word within our life. Father, I am just a human vessel. And so I ask that you would prepare me, cleanse me, and allow your mind and my mind to work in harmony so that I can be obedient to you as I share your word. I ask that through the work of the Holy Spirit that you would begin to prompt the hearts and minds of your people. And Lord, if there are those that are here today that have not made commitment to be in a relationship with you through the Holy Spirit, would you draw them to yourself today? I pray that you would help me to speak in a way that is understandable so that we can draw from your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We continue in this series today. We get to the personality trait of God of goodness. As I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, good seems to be a, a rather weak word in today's vernacular. It's been supplanted by totally awesome dude. It's been replaced by super or greatly or cool or terrific or epic. There you go. Groovy. Boy, are you old. <laughs> in fact, you know, in the way that we use the term good today, when you ask somebody, and, and I trust that somebody will ask you, perhaps that hasn't been here today, how was service today? And you'll say, it was good. Or, it was a good sermon. Or, it was good fellowship. And what we begin to draw from that word good is that eh, it wasn't bad. It wasn't anything spectacular. It was pretty average. It was mediocre. Uh, it, was, it was good. And perhaps as a result of that and the way that we look at goodness, it's difficult for us to begin to understand the biblical concept of what the Lord is trying to describe to us within this goodness aspect of His nature. We don't realize until it's absent how much we miss goodness. Today our culture is replete with illustrations of the lack of goodness. They're so numerous that I won't even trouble mentioning them because we can see them all the time and whenever we turn on the news. The one that struck me this week was this father that's been accused of killing his son by letting a car fall upon him and then years ago having burned his wife in a house and they're just now catching up with all this and I'm looking at this going, where has basic goodness 
gone in the lives of so many. It's one thing to look at the deplorable wrongs in our society at large, and even in the church, we can't say that we are perfect by any means. But what about ourselves? What, how do we take this and begin to apply this in an individual way within our life? What about your life and what about my life? Is goodness present? Is goodness present in me? Is it recognizable? Do people, when they look at my life, see something in me that has to be born of the nature of God? Or are we satisfied with what we can try to create in our own? In the theological sense, as we approach this word good, God only is good. In fact, we know of the passage of Scripture where Jesus was approached by what in the Bible is described as a wealthy young ruler or a rich young ruler one day. And in his approaching Jesus, he uses this term as he grabs his attention. He calls him good teacher. What must I do to have eternal life? He's asking a very important question, but he started off with what may be a common term during that time, but trying to recognize that Jesus had some goodness to him. And Jesus stops him. And he begins to say to him, Why do you call me good? Because there's nobody good but God. Now, I want to stop here for just a moment. Excuse me. Because... The Jehovah's Witnesses, Jehovah's Witnesses mistakenly use this verse, and sometimes they may have come to your door and and tried to talk to you, but they mistakenly take this scripture out of the context and say to you that Jesus was denying his divinity here. That is not the case at all. They have pulled that from the context. Their understanding is out of the context of that conversation. But what Jesus is really saying to this young man is this. You come to me with a very trite expression and a very trite greeting and you call me good teacher and you're using a term good, but you use it in such a common sense that I want you to stop for a moment and understand that the word good as it relates to the way you're trying to use it has a far bigger meaning. He says, do you know what you're really saying? Because God alone is good. And Jesus is not denying his divinity here within this comment. He's causing this man to reflect at the use of his term, good. And he's trying to bring to him an understanding of the positiveness of this word and the complete wholeness in it in the sense that therefore only God is good because only God is completely whole. And that is consistent with the nature of what the Lord tries to teach us about this word within the Scripture. And there are some supplementary verses that I would like to share with you just a moment because it sets a foundation for some things this morning. One of them is in Matthew chapter 7, verse 11. And I'm not going to read the whole verse to you, but I do want to point out one part of it. Because the theme of Matthew 7, 11 says that God gives good gifts to His children. Now I recognize that we are in the gift-giving season. And for those of you that have children and grandchildren, chances are you've received a list from them to express to you exactly what they think a good gift would be. The Lord begins to address this and says that He gives good gifts, perfect gifts to His children. Keep that in mind. Because in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, He uses the term good within another context that's important for us. And He says, consistent with His nature of goodness, that He has a good will for our lives. In other words, there are plans that He has for us that are perfect if we allow Him to work those things out. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, 
the scripture indicates to us that he has begun a good work in us. Now, how many of you are glad that God is working in you? He's begun something in us. He started something in us. Now, we need to be patient with each other because some of you are farther along in the process than others are. And he also demands that we have patience with those that are growing in the Lord. Sometimes you just need to look at somebody and say, God is growing them because there are times people look at you and say, God is still growing you. But he has started a good work in you. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, he says to us that he assures us that he is working everything out for good in us. The goodness of God then, within the context of these scriptures, produces good gifts, produces his good will, produces his good work, and produces his good path for your life. The Spirit, who is himself God, remember we talked about that last week, that he's not just something floating around. The Holy Spirit is fully God. He's the person of the Holy Spirit. And he's developing within us a moral character of God within us. That is the fruit of the Spirit. So how does the fruit of the Spirit bring about goodness in our life? I'd like to suggest five ways this morning very quickly. And these are not exclusive. I can tell you there's a number of different things that you could apply here. They're not the only ways that the Spirit brings goodness. But as I search the Scripture, it's very obvious that at least there are five ways that are to work within us as the Spirit brings goodness out in us. The first one is that He gives us a new nature. He gives us a new nature. For those of us that belong to Christ, that are Christ followers, there comes the recognition that we are not the same people we were before we knew Christ. I thought I would get an amen a little louder than that. <clears throat> we are not the same people. There is a new work within us. In fact, the Bible tells us that we are new creations that can actually also be interpreted actually. We are a new species. We look human on the outside, but there's something alive in our spirit. We know that our home is going to be in heaven ultimately. There is an aspect to us that has been completely changed, and God gives us a new nature. In fact, it is described in Galatians 2.20 as, No longer I who live, but Christ lives within me. In other words, there's an aspect of you that your personality begins to die so that the personality of Christ can begin to grow in you. He motivates you from the inside out. And He brings about a change. Goodness cannot be gained in your life simply by practice. Just doing good things is not enough. Simply by me handing you a prescription and says, if you will just do these things, you'll become good. Won't happen. Goodness is God's personality in Jesus Christ now living in us made possible first to us through new birth. Listen very closely. You will never be good in God's eyes unless you first become good by having Christ live within you. <clears throat> You'll never be good in God's eyes. So many people struggle with this issue. There's so many people that are locked into this works aspect that at the end of time, if I've done enough good... God's going to hold the scales and He's going to weigh it against the bad that I've done. And as long as the good is just slightly more than the bad I'm in, God's going to let me into heaven. There is no basis in Scripture whatsoever for good work salvation. Salvation to you comes through the recognition that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for your sins that you could not pay yourself. 
and that He gives it to you as a free gift. And that the good things that you do after receiving Christ then become rewardable to you. But it's not going to be a scale that stands there. Because the Bible also tells us that our goodness, the things that we do, is considered without Him to be filthy rags. We need Christ. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you will then be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, His pleasing and perfect will. It's through the renewing of what God does in us on a day-by-day basis that we can then live out the goodness of the Spirit of God and the personality of this fruit. This is the base. This new nature we have in Christ, we move forward then to a second one, which He develops in us a servant mentality. There is a tremendous paradox in a contract that on one hand we are the sons and daughters of God. We are children of the Most High King when we've invited Him into our life and we become followers of Him. But it's important to note that for you and I, that there is a reverse order. He tells us that we can't be great in His kingdom unless we become servants of all. And it's really hard sometimes to be good recognizing that we can't do this on our own. He starts with a sonship and then He works us through to a servanthood. He says, when I come into your life, one of the ways that people will recognize the fruit of the Spirit of goodness is that we will learn to serve others. When you think of people in your life that you cross paths with, that generally you look at and you think of them as good people, chances are it's because the way they treat others and some of the things that they may have done to bless your life. It seems as if the world judges goodness on servanthood. And so right from the very beginning, the Scripture indicates to us that this is important. We know our family connections. We know who we really are in Jesus Christ. And then we have the freedom to become the people He wants us to be by serving. There's a person by the name of Dorcas in Acts chapter 9, verse 36, also known as Tabitha, interpreted, that there's this really neat description for life. Of the three times in Acts that the word good is used, and we're going to talk about those this morning, the first time it occurs is in the life of Dorcas. Scripture said she was a a person of goodness. Why? Because she cared for the poor. She made robes. She made clothes for widows and children that couldn't afford them on their own, and she gave them to them. She, as a goodness person, lived for other people. She had a servant mentality. And if you're looking to find a need, some practical need, you'll always have places of ministry. In fact, if you ask the Lord to open your eyes to the things that are going on around you, He will always show you places where we can serve. But a goodness person can be best described by some things that are found in Philippians chapter 2. Turn there if you would. Verses 5 through 7. Excuse my cough this morning. Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 5, it says, Your attitude... Now, now we are speaking of those who have Christ living within them, the church as we like to call them. He's speaking to the church. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. We've talked about this before, that if we're going to be called Christians, we better demonstrate Christ, otherwise we're fraud. said, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Verse 6, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. 
being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. So we have within the example for us, since we are living out the personality of Jesus Christ, his personality was that even though he was the Son of God, he is the Son of God, he never acted like it around us. He became a servant to us. Jesus' attitude always involves that of taking on the nature of a servant and serving others. He sought not to, to get, but to give. And goodness comes from persons who learn the practice of servanthood. A third way in which goodness is brought out within our lives is to sensitize our heart to God and to His will. To make us sensitive in our inner being to God Himself. The goodness person brings forth Jesus as the good that is stored up within him. Have you ever been so hurt and so devastated by another person or an event that took place that your normal reaction would be that of retaliation or your mind instantly begins to go places where I'm going to need to retaliate? Because you will find, as Christ lives within you, that that natural tendency becomes repressed And what takes its place then is I need to react or respond as Jesus would respond because He's the one living within me. There is a difference between reacting and responding. I believe that one of the ways that Christ's nature comes out of us as we grow in Him is that we learn to be people of response rather than people of reacting. Response is something that the Lord would do in a very thoughtful way and it can help us in those ways. And if you are a reacting type of person, one of the greatest ways that people will know that Christ is making a difference in your life is that when you don't react in the way that you normally do, but suddenly there's a response that people go, whoa, that was not the way they normally do things. And suddenly people recognize that there's the growth of Christ within your life as a result of that. Now, I will will tell you, not all of us will be perfect at that right away. We develop the fruits. We work at the fruit of the Spirit. But people with good hearts also have good conscience. And Paul was such a person. In fact, the second time that the word good is used in the book of Acts, it occurs when Paul is speaking in Acts 23.1 when he says, Paul looks straight at at the Sanhedrin. And he says, Brothers... I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. In Acts 24:16, used in the same way, he said, So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. So the second way we look at the term good as a spiritual gift is as it relates to the way that we interact with our own conscience and the obedience to the Lord. Paul said he had a good conscience. I'm struck with that statement. Because sometimes I wondered how Paul, with the things that took place within his life, could live with so much pressure, and especially in the last days and the last years of his life. When he had on his mind and he had on his heart and he had on his back some of the ways that he was treated in such an unjust way, he was unjustly imprisoned. He had on his shoulders the fact that many of his fellow believers, some of his closest friends and some of those that he had led to the Lord had turned their back on him. He also had the anxiety and the concern for the believers that he'd helped birth into the kingdom. He had faced physical deprivation. All these things were upon him, and yet if you look at what he says in the book of Acts, as you read the epistles that he was writing from prison, you find him talking a number of times about, I have a good conscience. I have lived before God with a clear conscience. 
He said, I have striven always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. How do you know? How do you know in your life when the fruit of the Spirit of goodness or the personality of Jesus of goodness is at work within you? I would think that like Paul, we could say our conscience is clear. That is a very peaceful feeling at night when you lay your head down on a pillow and can recognize that as you're closing your eyes, you know you have a good conscience before men and peace within your heart before God because your conscience is clear. We look into our hearts. We look into our conscience, into our our inner decision-making abilities, and we ask, am I doing anything that's wrong? Lord, is there anything in my life that you need to, to begin to point out to me that I can correct in your sight? Is there anything in my life, Lord, that is out of God's will for me? How many of you know that when you pray for that, He's going to begin to answer those prayers? In fact, for some people, it's easier not to pray that way anymore because God always answers those prayers. There's those things that He doesn't answer as quick as we want, but when we begin to say to Him, Lord, is there anything in my life that's out of Your will? And boom, 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 He begins to throw. How come you're so quick with that? Because of the desire that He has that we would have a clear conscience. If you begin to ask Him, Lord, is there any secret sin which is poisoning the inner well of my being that You would begin to point out to me? And the Holy Spirit seeks to move goodness into my life, causing me to have a right conscience and causing me to have a functioning conscience. And the way that I describe these two differently is a right conscience is one that is built from God's Word and not simply human laws. Excuse me. A right conscience is built on God's Word. Your life held up to God's Word gives you a right conscience, not compared to what the human standards are. Because we know that we're living in a day and age where what is wrong will be called right. A functioning conscience is one that impels me to make wrongs right. To repent. To seek God's forgiveness and restoration and cleansing. To want to live in a way that is pleasing to God. That is a functioning conscience. One that will act upon what is right. This application of goodness means that you have a listening heart. Which means that you open yourself up to say... Lord, I want to hear what the Spirit has to say to me. Because the Bible says that he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit has to say to his church. The fourth way that the Spirit develops goodness within us is to bring about a positive and encouraging attitude in our life. How many of you have ever heard of the biblical character of Barnabas? Most of you have heard about Barnabas. Barnabas was such a person. The third time in the book of Acts that the word good was used was in relationship to the life of Barnabas. In Acts 11.24 it says, He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Barnabas' goodness was seen in his encouraging nature. How many of you have at least one person in your life that you know is an encourager? Somebody that you can go to that they are going to encourage you whether you deserve it or not. If you weren't able to raise your hand, you need to find some of the people who did raise their hand and ask them who their encourager is. Because you need to meet them. We need encouragers in our life. One of the reasons that I value this body of believers here at Grace Assembly 
is because the nature of so many of you is so encouraging. I've listened to your conversations in the foyer and during your times of greeting and the hugs that we give to one another and and how valuable those are. I've heard you talking to people that are going through difficult times and you say, you're not alone in this. I'm standing with you in this. And you've talked to those who have experienced failure within their life and you put an arm around them and says, this failure will not define you and we won't look at you any differently, but we're going to begin to build you up and, and restore you and renew you. And because of that aspect that takes place within the church, this becomes a very healing and nurturing place. It's a wonderful thing to enter into the house of God knowing that when you leave there, you're going to feel better than you did when you got there because of the presence of the living God at work within His people. That's the fruit of the Spirit of goodness at work through an encouraging nature. Barnabas, his goodness is seen in his encouraging nature. Some people are really good at dwelling with negative things. Thank you. I'm glad that the early church had the functioning of the gift of wisdom at work within them when they chose different assignments for different people to go and do because it was unique when they selected Barnabas for what he was to do. What was happening that Barnabas was going to be going to observe probably could not have taken place And there's a whole segment of the church that may never have been a part of the church if it wasn't that Barnabas was the one sent. Let me set the setting for you. There was a new work that was beginning in Antioch. Sounds like rain. It's December and it's raining. Hallelujah. If this is global warming, I love it. So this new work of the Spirit was was taking place in Antioch. What was happening is that non-Jewish people, Gentiles as they were known, were coming to faith in Jesus Christ, unheard of, absolutely unheard of. But in the process of their coming to faith in Jesus Christ, they were doing it in such a way that was dismissing all of the Jewish culture. And the Jewish people were very, very upset because they're receiving Christ and And the Lord is blessing them and they're even being filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and all of these things are happening. But they are not doing it in the way that the Jewish people thought they should because they weren't holding up the customs. The beginning of what we call legalism of if God doesn't work in your life the exact same way He worked in my life, then it wasn't God in your life. They weren't, as they were receiving Christ, the Gentiles were not keeping the culture. They were not eating the right Jewish foods. They were not keeping the right dress codes. There were certain other kind of things that were part of the Jewish way of life that they weren't doing. And had the Jerusalem church sent some of its more legalistic-minded leaders to take a look at what was happening in Antioch, they may have gone in and stopped it and said, what's happening is absolutely awful and it cannot go on and shut it down right there. But they sent Barnabas. They sent Barnabas. And Barnabas walks into this situation who was a good man. He's called good. The spirit of goodness was at work within him. And he came with an encouraging side. And he was able to take a step back as he saw what was happening in Antioch. And he looked at it, not through the eyes of tradition, but he looked at it through the eyes of relationship. 
And he began to see that the relationship aspect of the Gentile people, they were demonstrating all of the same qualities of Christ living in them as the Jewish believers were. And as a result of that, he recognized that the Jewish trappings were not the important thing. It was the fact that God was at work was that the important thing. And lives are being changed. And the report that he gave was that he was glad. Everybody trusted Barnabas because of his encouraging nature. And he came back and he said, I'm glad. And he encouraged the believers in that place. How many of you know the power of an attitude can make or break a situation? We are an offspring, those of us who are non-Jewish believers, we are an offspring of the fact that something started in Antioch that reached us today because Barnabas went back and said, it's good. It's good. Keep your eyes off the details and keep your eyes on the big picture of what God is doing. He was a good man and he didn't dwell on the minors. He was able to set aside and distinguish non-essential matters from essential matters. He didn't bring a judgmental attitude of criticism and suspicion upon those whose ways were different than his own. He was an encourager. For those of us that have had the opportunity to travel into different cultures and to see the church of Jesus Christ alive and well, I want you to know something. If you were in a worship service in some places in Africa, you might feel uncomfortable if you don't have a three-foot vertical leap. Because when we begin to see the worshipers in some of those African villages, they are jumping straight up and down, worshiping the Lord, and we're just kind of bouncing. When you go to the different cultures, even where we went in in Haiti, there was a liveliness and a life to their worship that we look at and we're going, I want that! But if everybody had to worship the exact same way we do, and we said, if it doesn't fit into this jar, if it doesn't fit into this box, then it's not of God, then we would miss a lot of what God wants to do. By the way, I'm praying that God fills our church with all kinds of cultures. We need to be a multicultural church. God wants us to be encouraging people. We can wreck what God is doing with a negative attitude. So how do you see life? Are you always filled with complaints? Filled with an attitude of encouragement or filled with an attitude of discouragement? Begin to live life by saying, who around me needs to be encouraged today? Because goodness people are persons who come with a word of encouragement. I want to share with you personally that our deacons have been a tremendous encouragement to me. These are men that have come alongside and at different times when they know that the burden is heavy and put an arm around me and say, Pastor, I just want you to know I'm encouraging you. God's at work. God's doing something. I thank God for these men and their encouraging words in times when it's vital. Lastly, a vital part of Christian goodness comes when the Spirit brings calm assurance in the midst of your life's storms. Romans 8.28 This is a verse that many people memorize since they were young tells us that God is working everything for the good. God is working everything for the good. But let me present to you the other side of that verse. That statement can only apply if there are things happening to us that don't appear to be good. Think about that. That statement can only apply. It only encourages 
when you're in a time when you don't think it's happening. God is working things out for the good when all you can see is the heartache and all you can see is the bad and you can't see the light because it's so dark. And it's so difficult to affirm truth, biblical truth, in tough times when everything is coming unglued around us. It's tough to believe and to confess that God will work it out for the good. But that quiet, calm assurance is the way the Spirit has of developing goodness in us that's been tested and it's been tried and it becomes true to the nature of God within us. It begins to strengthen us when we've been through those difficult times and we look back on them in our life and we recognize there were things that developed in us through that time that couldn't have been developed any other way. It makes us stronger for the next one. You say, Pastor, what do you mean the next one? I mean the next one. The only way you're going to get out of the next one is when the great one calls us home. He's working things out for good in the difficult times of life. So let me just share this with you. Never attempt to bear more than one kind of trouble at once. Well, what do you mean by that? Some people try to carry all three kinds of trouble. There's all the trouble they've had. There's all the trouble they're having. And there's all the trouble they're going to get in. And some people try to carry that all at once. God helps us to only carry the load that is in our sack that is from today's troubles. Not pick up the boulders of your past. Don't pick up the boulders of your past. There are some things that you need to be reminded today. We use this term. It's under the blood. Let me, for those of you that may not be church people, I'm saying, well, that sounds gross. What that simply means is that Jesus Christ, when He died for us on the cross, said He shed His blood. His perfect blood. The sinless man died for our sins. His blood washed away our sins. And there are some things that some of you have been carrying around from your past for years. It's under the blood. Let it go. Some of you are beating yourself up worse than other people would beat you up that don't know Christ. Some of you can't get out of your mind things that you've done. Let me tell you something. Christ did not win you and seal you and live within you for you to continue to think about what was. He's concerned about who you are in Him and where He's leading you in Him. So let it go. And deal with the goodness of God in your heart. I conclude with this. The Psalm 23rd verse, or Psalm 23. I want to read the whole chapter to you. It's another one of those that you probably memorized when you were young, but I particularly want you to to look at verse 6, but let me just read this whole chapter to you. It's short. 23rd Psalm said, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. 
He restores my soul. How many of you just need a restoration of your soul? I'm going to ask our worship team if they would please come. He guides me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Here's the verse I want you to focus on for a moment. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I want you to know something. We're on a journey that has a destination. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If he had started with that verse, it makes everything that you face up to that point seem so less, so less imposing. But he leads us on the journey. He says, I'm shepherding you. I'm bringing goodness out in you. And so the, the word this morning is to let the fruit of the Spirit grow in you. Let the Spirit bring in you a new nature, a new servant mentality, a listening and an obedient heart, an encouraging attitude and a calm assurance that the goodness of the Lord is not a weak word, it's a powerful word. And that is part of the Spirit's nature to be worked out within us. Close your eyes if you would. Father, we thank you for your presence and the blessed Holy Spirit who has come to create in our life the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of us, Lord, have fallen short of your goodness. There is none righteous, nor is there any that is good, none but you. But Lord, in your great mercy, you have come to give us your own divine life. And I pray for persons here in whom your goodness has not yet begun to dwell because they have not yet experienced the exceeding greatness of your spirit. Because they haven't yet received the invitation to receive Christ. And I pray that today would be their day. While we are praying today in the midst of this service, we pray for the hearts of those that they would be open to you. Lord Jesus, I do pray that you would begin to manifest in yourself your personality through us. Develop within us the personality trait of goodness, Lord, that it would be recognized. And help us in each area of our life that we could demonstrate a servanthood and an encouraging nature. And that we could stand tall in tough times because you're with us. And we ask that as you do this, that we would bring pleasure to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.